0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: You're never going to get this kind of teaching anywhere outside the Bible. It just doesn't exist. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. This is where blessedness is. This is what happiness is about. If you believe it, buy into it, act upon it, you're going to be radically blessed.
0: Today we conclude the message Radically Blessed. As Pastor Sam guides us through the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, we learn what Jesus' priorities are for the lives of his followers, where you and I will truly find a blessed life. Let's listen in.
1: Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This simply speaks to us about recognizing my own depravity, my own sin, the the desperateness of my situation, and beginning to mourn over it. When I realize I have no righteousness of my own, when I realize sin's damage and devastation, when I recognize that the sorrow and suffering, not just that I've experienced, that others have experienced because of my sin, it causes me to mourn. And when I see Jesus crucified and hear those words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It really causes me to grieve. And God says at that moment, hey, blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who grieve, not just because you got a hard life or you've had some hard knocks, but because you realize your spiritual depravity and you mourn and grieve over the, the sin and the suffering and the sorrow The death that sin brings. It was used, by the way, this word for mourning of those who grieved in the Old Testament over sin, over sorrow, over death. But in a real way, not just physically, but spiritually, he's saying this will be the result of seeing ourselves as God sees us with no righteousness of our own, with nothing with which we could stand before Him. It causes us to grieve, and here's His promise. They shall be comforted. When I grieve for my sin, when I confess my depravity, when I ask forgiveness, He not only forgives, but comforts me. He also, not only forgives, but comforts me. Then he says, blessed are the meek. And I think I already mentioned it. You're never going to get this kind of teaching anywhere outside the Bible. It just doesn't exist. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. And I want you to see there's this beautiful progression developing as we see the poverty of spirit as we're humbled by it, as we mourn as a result of it. And that brings a true meekness and humility before God and man. He says once again, hey, that is a state of blessedness. Now Moses had this experience called by God, separated to God. He had a desire to serve God and and he went out at one point in his own flesh and he tried to do the work that he thought God had called him to. You know, be a mediator among men. He didn't really get it right. He actually killed a guy. It was never God's plan. So, so Moses ends up spending 40 years. For those of you who've been working on your degree for four, six, eight, you know, whatever it's been, here's, here's some hope. Moses spent 40 years getting his degree. It was a BD, back of the desert degree. And, uh, he, he took all that time to just learn that he couldn't do on his own and in and of himself, what only God could really accomplish in and through him. And and so, first 40 years in Egypt, then 40 in the the back of the desert, and then he comes when he's 80 years old, and he's kind of burnt out, and he's like, Lord, I'm not really much of a talker. I'm not really looking for a job right now. I'm tending sheep. Couldn't you get somebody else? And you just got to read the story. It's amazing. But after God... Uses Moses mightily. We get this testimony. Moses was the meekest man that ever lived. Now, if it weren't for my great respect for Scripture and and its integrity, I'd have problems with that statement, and here's why. Moses is the one who said it, you see. And uh, when anybody says, Hey, here I am, meekest man who ever lived, you got to wonder about the guy. But it was a true testimony, at least up to the point when Jesus came on the scene. And Jesus says... Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, if you're working hard, laboring for the Lord, trying to do the right thing, and and you're just burning out and bummed out, overwhelmed, he says, Come to me, and I'll give you rest. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In the first case, just come, he says, and I'll give you rest. And then he says, yoke yourself together with me, learn of me, and, and, and I'll give you rest again. Here's the picture. Nothing could be more frustrating than trying to do the work of the spirit in the energies of our flesh. If you want to fail, I guarantee you will try to do God's thing your way or with your energies or your plans. It is a prescription for failure. But when he says yoke with me. Hey, first of all, if you're yoked, you're not going to get far from him. That's a good thing. And if you're yoked, you're going to be working alongside of him. That's a wonderful thing. And if you're yoked and not getting far from and working alongside, there is going to be abundant fruit from your life because Jesus never plows in vain. He never plants in vain. He is always working and he's always accomplishing what he's seeking to accomplish. So so here's the picture. I, I realize God's present and I realize God's holy and it breaks me. I, I experience that poverty of spirit that, that causes me to mourn over what I am apart from Him. And that brings me to a true meekness. Now, if you're confused about meekness, because many of us associate meekness with weakness, you need to know the word cannot mean that and never did and never will. It's actually a word that would describe power under control. That's our Lord. I mean, they spit in his face and plucked out his beard and and nailed him to a cross. And at any point, hey, he could have called legions of angels down to just destroy them. But he submitted himself to the cross for your sins and mine. He had all power, but he wasn't going to use it as we saw in his temptation for his own protection or provision or... Or any of that. No, he was only going to do what the Father sent him to do. The The best picture I can give you, apart from the cross, and nothing can come close to that, would be the picture of an unbroken horse. I don't know if you've ever seen wild horses. We used to live on Bruce Road before all those houses were built. There were hundreds of horses running wild out there. And, and man, it is wonderful to just see the, the power of those horses free and running wild. But... A free and, and wild horse, while it may be powerful, isn't very useful. And the picture we get in meekness is, is a broken horse. Now, when you break a horse, you don't diminish its power at all. What you do is, is you focus that power so that the horse is now useful and productive. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us. He wants to take anything and everything He's already birthed in us and planted in us and and all the potential of our lives. And He just wants it under His control so that we'll be useful and, and fruitful to Him. Well, the fourth that He gives us, and you see the progression building so wonderfully. Poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That appetite to be right with God and right before men will never happen until the first three happen. That's why this is the foundation. Poverty of spirit, mourning over the reality of our our lack of righteousness, a meekness, a humility before the Lord that says, Lord, you know, just break me. And and use me and yoke me and and as we do that, that appetite to be right, that's what it is, that recognition, that brokenheartedness, that humbleness, it makes us hungry for the things of God. And here's the wonderful the wonderful reality is, is when we're hungry for the things of God, He gives them to us and they truly satisfy. You know that passage that says delight yourself in, in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart? It, it, it's really about just just saying, Lord, whatever you've purposed, whatever you've planned, whatever you desire, that's what I desire. And if that's not true today, then just be honest and say, well, I desire to desire it. There's that part of me that that... I want to know what you have for me and what you've planned and purposed for me. I want to be yoked with you. I want to be fruitful for you and faithful to you. I hunger, Lord, to have a righteousness that's real. That I don't have to put on a show or pretend or act. It's real. And that's what he promises. If that's what you're hungering for, he says, you will be filled. You will be satisfied Now, the direct result of experiencing these four is we will begin to rightly represent the Lord. And so the next beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It almost sounds like you've got to do it and then he'll do it, but you know that can never be the way it is. That's why this is fifth, not first. Having experienced all these other realities, having laid a foundation of poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting for true righteousness, we become recipients of all of those things. And what happens, and here's the picture we need to get, is when I realize how merciful God's been to me, how gracious he's been toward me. I've got to be that to others. I've got to want to be that to others. And here's what the Lord showed me. Here's the, the the picture I get and want you to take home with you today. It's like you've got a full cup. God has blessed you so abundantly. Your cup is full. It's right to the brim, ready to overflow. And, and as long as you're willing to extend mercy to others, to be gracious to others, to, to give what you freely received then the flow of that mercy and that grace and that goodness just continues to pour into your life. The only way to get more of something you're full of is to give away what you already have. And so as I pour out mercy on others, God says, hey, I got more for you, more than you can ever hold, more than you can ever share. But if at some point... I decide I'm not going to be merciful. I'm not going to be gracious. I think I deserve all I've gotten and certainly they don't. Then what happens? Then, then there's no way for God to continue to pour into me what I'm unwilling to extend to others. That's why he says, blessed are the merciful. They will experience mercy. They will continually obtain mercy. It's got to be a moving Stream of God's blessings or, or it's going to not happen at all. Now, in Matthew 18, and you don't have to go there now, there's a wonderful parable in response to Peter's coming to the Lord and, and you need to know that mercy is about forgiveness, that, that mercy is about compassion, it's about really getting in someone else's skin and knowing what it is to, to feel that way and to do all you can to alleviate their suffering or to show God's kindness to them. But Peter comes up to the Lord at one point, and I think he's, you know, looking for a little pat on the back, and, and he says, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone? I mean, like, seven times? And you got to know that Peter had probably already been offended six, at least, by James or John. And so he's thinking, you know, Jesus is going to say, yeah, that's really good, Peter, and then he's going to forgive those guys and say, hey, look at me, you know. But Jesus looks at him and says, let's try 70 times seven. Seventy times seven, man, we're so far from that. And, and, and here's the point. If we're going to continue to experience forgiveness, we've got to be willing to show forgiveness. If we're going to experience mercy, we've got to show mercy. That's why so many Christians get to a place where they're like, oh, I just don't know if I can be forgiven. You know, the Bible says you can. And and it says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And so you know the scripture and you claim that promise, but you say, I just don't feel forgiven. Well, what's the problem then? Oftentimes it's like we're just not willing to forgive someone else or to extend that mercy to them. And so though we never really understood it or, or made it, you know, had it crystallize in our minds. Inherently, we know, I can't keep saying, forgive me, but don't forgive them. Grace for me and judgment for them. There has to be that willingness on my part to extend to others what God so freely gives me. And so, blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure simply means here undivided, uncompromised, single-mindedness toward the Lord and toward who and what He is and what He has for us. It's that, that desire to obey the greatest commandment, to love Him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. A, a heart that's not divided, a, a life that isn't divided, compartmentalized. And we live in a very dangerous generation. Where if you've been in college recently, and, and hey, it's not even college, it's the whole medium bombardment. We're, we're taught that it's possible to be against something over here and still okay with it over here. That that you can think something's totally wrong for someone in some situation, but okay in this situation we'll talk more about that in a moment i want to tell you that is the furthest from pure in heart and, and he says that that if you are pure in heart if your eye is single toward the lord and your heart is set on the lord you will see god you'll see him in the circumstances of your life in the trials the tribulations the situations and you won't say where's god you'll say lord what are you doing in this situation how is romans 828 going to come to pass here. I don't always get what God's doing, but I know He's doing something, and it's good, and it's righteous, and it's pure, and it's holy, and it's worth proclaiming. Well, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. There in verse 9, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now listen. Here's God's peace plan. We live in a time in history where lots of people are suggesting, I've got a solution to the problem of the Middle East or the problem in Belfast or the problem down in, in uh, Bolivia or, or somewhere else, wherever there's problems, Colombia. Here's God's peace plan. First, you need to find peace with God. And that only can happen through the cross. If you're trying to get things right on this level and things aren't right on this level, it ain't going to happen. And there's not going to be peace in the Middle East until... All those who who are going to find peace, find it in the Lord Jesus. Listen, it wouldn't matter to me who I was speaking to. If I could be put in between, you know, Arafat and Sharon and those people, I would tell Arafat, your only hope is Jesus. And I tell Sharon, your only hope is Jesus. Why? Their only hope is Jesus. And and, and that's how it's going to be. And And so first, you got to be right with the Lord. You've got to find peace with him. And so if you're struggling in your relationships and you're trying to get it together and you're trying to make it right, get right with the Lord. And then once you've experienced peace with him, then you can experience peace within. Philippians says to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, listen. First, I get right with God. Then I experience the peace of God. And then as I deal with people, I'm not going to be saying, she makes me so mad or he just pushes all my buttons or you don't know all I've put up with from this person. If you're focusing and almost without exception, when people come in and saying we're having problems, their focus is on what that person's done to them or failed to do for them. But, but my question's always going to be, where are you with the Lord Jesus right now? Are you right with him? And are you at peace? Well, of course I'm not at peace. They won't let me be at peace. And so you're saying they have control over you. And the Bible's not true. And hey, if that's the case, then we're all in trouble. But if the Bible's true, and it is, we can find peace with God. And we can find peace within. And then we can make peace with one another. And and you know, the Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. But in spite of all of that, and partially because of all of that, we would think, well, okay, if I'm right with the Lord, if I've experienced all these, if I have a solid foundation, if I exhibit godly Christian character, people are going to like me. They're going to embrace me. They're going to accept me. And so he gives you the last couple blessings. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Wait a minute. I thought peacemakers would be called the sons of God. Yeah, you may be. And that doesn't mean they'll like you. They hated him and crucified him. And he was the son of God. And by the way, he says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Key word for my sake. Rejoice. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So they, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, listen, blessed are those persecuted physically if it's for righteousness sake. And blessed are those persecuted verbally if it's falsely for his sake. And he says, here's how he wants us to respond. Not by protesting or picketing or threatening or, or oh, you're going to get yours. He says, just rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Great is your reward in heaven. You are in good company. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it will always be. Let me share one last thing with you, and then we're going to worship together and, and give an opportunity for any and all who never given their lives to the Lord to do that and anybody who wants to get right with the Lord to do that. Man's foolishness is perhaps illustrated in the most profound way in that when we see the things that God is doing or fail to recognize that God's in these things, we actually try to fix them. Remember when God says man's wisdom is foolishness with God? Hey, here's here's exactly what happens. Track with me for just a, a couple more minutes on this. Poverty of spirit. We look at that. We don't say blessed are the poor in spirit. We say, man, you need a self-esteem seminar, and I can sign you up, and you can you can overcome this poverty of spirit. Self-esteem seminar. Blessed are those who mourn. No, we got medication, mood elevators for such problems. You're down, you're bummed. You're always talking about how how you're nothing and and only God. No, listen, it's not medication and mood elevators we need. It's that recognition that that mourning for our sin is right in the sight of God and the blessedness comes as he comforts us. Blessed are the meek. You know what the world says to that? Assertiveness training. You ain't going to let people step on you, walk all over you. Blessed are those with a healthy appetite for righteousness. Our world challenges that idea with situation ethics and values clarification and says this whole idea that there is a righteousness, a standard and that you can attain it no matter how you do it. Foreign to them. Blessed are the merciful, the forgiving. What does our world say? Sue them, divorce them, take them to the cleaners, get even, teach them a lesson. Blessed are the pure. Hey, our media challenges that statement every single day. And and as bad as fiction was on TV, now we have reality TV. And if there's ever been anything that would make me think this thing should be dropped off a cliff, it's reality TV. I mean, reality is bad enough. You don't have to see it on TV. Blessed are the peacemakers. Pointing people to Jesus, growing in him. How does our world deal with that? They picket. They protest. They trust in politicians to bring peace. Blessed are the persecuted. Jesus says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. I remember Gail Irwin saying, there's something wrong when we begin to train attack sheep, when it's Lambo and the, the sheep are as dangerous as the wolves. <laughs> but, but my point is this. There are two ways to deal with these realities. One is to believe the Lord and trust the Lord and experience true blessedness, lasting happiness, abiding contentment, and the other is to do it the world's way, and man, it's all false advertising. It'll never satisfy, it will never bring peace, it will never provide a righteousness.
0: The beautiful thing about seeking the blessings that Jesus is speaking of is they don't require the strength of our own flesh. Yoked to our Lord, he will take us into these blessings with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And as we grow and taste the blessings Jesus has to offer, the less we desire the things of the world which used to hold us in bondage. See you next time as we continue on in Matthew chapter 5. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.